Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. On Father's Day, it's one of my favorite days because I get to choose the venue at the house. Now, my kids, they always want to do something extra special, like let's go to Top Golf. And I'm thinking to myself, that's all the way on the strip, that's a lot of work, that's a lot of money. How about we just sit at home and eat, and eat a barbecue, you know, like some hamburgers? And then they go, well, Dad, we could play some poker. I said, that is a perfect evening for my Father's Day. So we're going we're gonna to play some uh, games around the house, and I think my wife even spiced it up. She got all the dads in the family. She got them uh, shrimp. So I'm excited about that. March 9th is not an important day to you, but it is to me. March 9th, 1981. I became a father for the first time, and I remember my son Jared being born at our house, and I remember when he came out that he literally turned his head and I said, hey, Jared, because I knew for whatever reason it was a boy and I'd been talking to him in the womb the whole time and it was like his little head turned and his eyes opened for just a second. I said, hey, son, and then he went back and came out the rest of the way. Now, I don't know if that's exactly what happened because he doesn't tell me he remembers that. I don't understand why, Um, but I want you to know that there were two thoughts that overwhelmed me that day. And the first was the incredible awareness that we have when we become a father and the ability that God gives us to create life. You realize that the family structure is a typology of heaven's structure and that just as there is a kingdom in heaven, the little domain that God gives to us as husbands and wives and our family, that's where we rule and reign. And up until the last century, we were able to create life seemingly from the naked eye. No one could tell what an egg or a sperm, what it looked like because we couldn't see them. And so almost as if God took that which was the invisible and created man, created mankind. God gives us that same creative ability within our families to create life. One of the keys to living a wonderful, successful, or perhaps fulfilled life is being able to continue this aspect of creation. And I don't mean just in terms of, but I mean in terms of the creation that God has placed in our hearts. Many people and many fathers and mothers get frustrated when they no longer can create something. They're just kind of stifled by the world. When I think of the other thing, and that is when I became a first-time father, the stark realization and the responsibility that that precious new life of what God had called me to do. It was very scary for me. My dad was a great dad. 
And without saying all of us that are here today, we have different memories and takes on our own earthly fathers. I know those in our church that don't even come on Father's Day because it's too painful. I know another man who lost his son uh, to suicide, and he doesn't. And, and I get it. There are things that we carry with us because of our fathers. What I love about following Jesus is that in Christ, I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And so when we read in Exodus chapter 4 about the importance of, uh, you know, of following the ways of the Lord, it talks about that do not make any graven images before me because I will visit the sins of the fathers on the third and fourth generation. And so many times we look at that as if that is a death knell to where we're at spiritually or, well, of course my son's going to be an alcoholic because my grandfather was an alcoholic, my dad was an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic. I want to tell you something. That chain is broken through the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to stand on the promise that when, when it said, but to those, you know, a lot of times we get that first part of the verse and we don't finish it. But to those who are called, I will extend my blessing, not three or four generations, but thousands. Now, I don't know about you. That's a deal. You know, over here you get three or four generations. Over here you get a thousand generations. And I can actually tell you that for me personally, that one of the things that I have always felt is that sense of continuity of the heritage and the legacy of all of the mercenary men of generations that have gone before me that love the Lord and serve the Lord. Many, many years ago when our church first started, and, and I know that uh, for some people they don't, they look at that, it's a building strong families for Christ. What's that all about? Very simply for me was this, that we had a time when our church was just growing exponentially that was absolutely crazy. And I remember thinking to myself, I would rather have a small church than to have the largest one in town and lose my kids. Now, I don't know how you want to take that, but I know what the Lord showed me. That what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? What does it profit a pastor if he gains the largest church in town but loses his family? So this morning, we're going to talk about dads. We're going to talk about the heroes of the faith. We're going to talk about three guys. I'm going to talk about them really quickly because I could wax eloquent on all three of their lives. And each one of them is, in fact, a great story. And the reason they're great stories is that these guys were, two of them were terrible fathers. I mean, really stinking bad until the latter years of their life when they repented and they turned back to God. Now, I want you to think about that, that many times, and if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me, if you would, to um, the book of, of Hebrews. We're going to look at, at Hebrews chapter 11. And then we're also going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 later on. When I look at um, 
this morning, this is what I kind of, the Lord kind of gave me a picture of. Anybody feel that wind last night? It was crazy, wasn't it? It (laughs) Blowing through the house. I mean, you find out every crack and crook and cranny or whatever that is where you have gaps in your house. It was whistling crazy last night. And I looked out and, and I saw the, the trees that are blowing back and forth. And how many of you know that one of the words that is used for Holy Spirit in the New Testament is the word pneuma, which is the word wind? I felt that wind blowing last night. And I said, Lord, could, could that same wind of the Holy Spirit blow through and over around this congregation this morning? Not just because of it's a special day, it's Father's Day. But because just as there are generations that serve God and generations that don't, we need the fresh wind of change in our life, our homes, our church, our nation. So let's just pray that right now, shall we? Heavenly Father, we come before you. And we ask that we would be open for the Holy Spirit to just blow through this place right now. That, Lord, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, pour out a new portion. And that, Lord, that we would be open to do new things. Lord, there's some that are here that... Uh, that really are just wondering what it is that you have for them, or maybe they're a place in their life not knowing what to do. And so, Lord, we ask for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit in each and every person that is here this day and to the extent of where the hands and the feet of each person that is here, where they will journey today and when they go home, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Today we're jumping into three superheroes of faith that are highlighted in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. Um, They were fathers who left a legacy not only with their peers but their children and their children's children. And as we look at it this morning, I realize that it's probably symbolic that Joey is at the kingdom, the magic kingdom. Because how many of you know that uh, that that place can really not only cost a ton, but man, you get distracted by everything, by parades, by fireworks, by characters, by, you know, how long you're in line and all the different things. And man, you are in the magic kingdom. And I got to tell you, there's a time or two when I took our kids there that, uh uh-oh, There's Mickey Mouse, but I don't know where my kid is. Now, I'm not saying that that, I found him immediately. But you know what I'm saying. We can be in that kingdom and be distracted, right? How many of you know that we do live in a kingdom, but the Bible says it's not of this world? And if we're not careful, this earth can be Disneyland. And we can get distracted by the rides and the color and the characters and all the things and all the food and all the things that are there to distract us. And they get us off the true citizenship of where we reside, and that is in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. And so as I thought about this 
kingdom mentality, I realize that I'm not making any comparisons to Disney, but, you know, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus declared, is at hand. The kingdom of God is within you. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so the kingdom of God is a concept of the rule and the reign of where Jesus is. If he's in our heart, he's to be our king. We are to establish kingdom principles to others through our lifestyle. But how many of you know there's another kingdom competing with us? And it's the kingdom of darkness, which appears filled with excitement, the illusion of fun, but we find out quickly that that scenario turns to a kingdom of chaos, depression, despair, and disorder. You see, when I look at the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness that are at odds in our life, so many times things look so attractive that we lose sight of our principles. We lose sight of our direction. And two of these men, I, I, wanna, I want you to take heart in this. These guys messed up, but they still made the wall. Their plaque is still in Cooperstown because they were open to do what God had called them to do. Let's look. We're going to look at three guys today. We're going to look at Jacob, or I'm sorry, we're going to look at Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. I'm kind of pulling them out of order uh, a little bit, but I'm, I want to look at those three because, man, those are three incredible character studies about being a dad this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to uh, just look at verse 20 uh, through 22 right now. Verse 20 says that by faith, and how many of you know the Bible declared in verse 7, without faith it's impossible to what? To please God. So Abraham was a man of faith, and he said, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau regarding their future. And we all remember that story. There was, uh, uh, Jacob was, um, uh, I, I guess, probably the DNA of his own dad. He was a deceiver. He, you know, was... Uh, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But they even had this ruse of how to steal the blessing. He dressed up like his bro brother, Esau, whose name means red and hairy. And they go through this whole thing, and mom was in on it to deceive his dad so he could get the blessing. Wait a minute. Guys who were deceivers, guys who were liars, guys who really messed up are still considered in God's hall of fame? Yes. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau regarding their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons, and he worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Now, if you'll recall, Joseph, we know, most of us know the story, yet there were 12 boys. Actually, when Benjamin was born, there was 12 sons, and they got jealous. And their dad didn't do a very good job of raising them. And if you were to look at that, you would see that the 12 sons of Jacob literally 
were from four different women. And within that group, they literally had rapists, child abusers, terrorists, I guess for lack of better, the way they terrorized the land and the marauding. And if that weren't enough, they sell their brother into slavery because they didn't like him. Now, I get the older brother thing and younger brother thing, but that is just a little bit extreme. And so here dad lives his life in depression because his favorite boy gets sold to slave traders. And then by faith, verse 22, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. These men that are listed today, along with Abraham, are literally the patriarchs or the fathers of Israel, the fathers of Jewishness. And when I say that, we're going to look at the Hall of Fame in the next few weeks. And uh, not only, and, and I always love it when people criticize the Bible because it doesn't recognize this person or that person or that movement. You know, there are, there are ladies who are listed in the Hall of Fame, just, just so you know. And some ones with not such good reputation, I might add. So I, I think I, we're going to be excited to read about some of these folks. But the Bible tells us it's impossible to to please God without faith. And so what I want to do today is just a very short, simple sermon about the importance of passing the baton of faith to the next generation. Now, I don't know if you know what this is. Anybody know it? Luke, do you know what this is? You gave it to me. What, what is it? A baton. This is a baton from... Luke Atwell, when he coached track, and he gave it to me when I first mentioned that we were going to do this in regards to Pastor Joey. I want you to know something, that the passing of a baton is not just something we do at work or something we do in a church. The passing of a baton is a generational command that God gives to us to pass on from Deuteronomy chapter 6 to pass on to our children. How many of you know that God is a generational God? He's not a one-hit wonder. God's kingdom agenda um, from one generation to the other, he wants his blessings to be extended. And so we find that with Jacob, um, his kingdom agenda and blessing his grandsons. He, he's, he's an old guy now, and he's leaning on the staff, and you can just see that picture. And I thought in terms of, you know, I've watched a, a few relay races on the Olympics through the years, and um, obviously mercenaries are not built for running. But if I were, um, the favorite event that I have in the track and field is the 4 by 100 it is the 100-meter dash four times over with the fastest athletes in the world. Do you know the last two Olympics, the United States team has had a problem? You know what that problem is? They've dropped the baton. Two Olympics in a row. 
I want you to listen to me carefully. Could we ascertain or be open to the fact that maybe generationally we've dropped the baton? That we have not made a clean passing from the heart of God, his principles, the culture that was founded upon the word of God. We have not made very good baton passes. I hope that this morning will challenge you because in its simplicity, I hope that it is also profound. You see, Jacob and then Joseph, or Isaac, then Jacob, then Joseph, they passed on a blessing of hope to those who came after them. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph. And when I realized that blessing, it's a concept that sometimes we don't fully grasp. But a spiritual legacy or the passing of a baton is the impartation of a blessing that is accompanied with the belief that there will be a brighter tomorrow because of who God is. So when we pass a blessing on, it's not just simply, God bless you, gazoontite. It is with an impartation of what God has done in my generation. May he not only do in your generation, but may it be greater than what came before. Now, if that would be the expectancy that we could have about our next generation, my goodness, how things might change in how we parent. Culturally, we understand this exchange through what, I guess, uh, is there a lawyer in the house? Darn, imagine, it. oh, Jonathan, I was going to make a lawyer joke, but I won't do that now. Yeah. Is that an oxymoron, a Christian lawyer? Ouch, I'm sorry. That, that, that was... You're the prosecutor. You wear the... Okay, there you go, sir. Culturally, we understand this passing of a blessing or generation to generation through a legal document called a will. We declare or write out and sign a legal document that delegates our possessions and assets that we've accrued during our life to those that we love to be distributed in however what the letter of that will says. By declaring this illegal document before we die, we're de declaring that it's binding, and it basically is this, it's where we want our money to go. And how many of you know that probably today with gas at $2, no, I'm sorry. I, I know it's up there. I was just, I still can't believe it. We probably may not have a whole lot in that will to give. Um, but think about it this way. Would we want somebody else to determine who distributed our possessions when we're gone? Those things that we've accrued, those things we've worked hard for. Maybe you have a house up in Utah. Uh, you have a cabin if you do come talk to me afterwards. Um, I don't know what it is that you have, but, but why is it we're so careful with earthly possessions and we have a legal document to pass it on 
But what, in fact, is the Bible tells us is that the kingdom of heaven is a greater reality than the very earth that we walk upon. It is the future and the eternal life that you and I will be living. And yet we give no thought of a legal document of passing what we have spiritually onto those who are around us. We do it with money. Why do we not do it with our spiritual possessions why do we not transfer our kingdom wealth to those around us that spiritual inheritance is broken down in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and we're going to look at this in just a moment but I want to just talk about that spiritual inheritance that that you have in your life right now If you want to pass this baton onto your children, and maybe some of you here that you don't have children, or maybe you're a single parent, I want you to know the passing of a spiritual heritage is not bound by natural blood and DNA. It's spiritual DNA. You see, you can pass the baton of what Jesus has done in your life in the workplace. Did you know that? You can pass the baton of spiritual presence of Jesus in your life with your neighbor next door. You can pass your spiritual heritage to that kid in high school or that you graduated that just really irked you but 10 years down the road, they're going to recall they were, they, that person was different. Why was that? Because you handed the baton off very clearly regarding your spiritual heritage. But there's a key element in passing off a spiritual heritage. You know what it is? You've got to own it first. I can't give anything I don't own. You know, hey, Eric, uh, I want to give you Mark's uh, 4013CBK, whatever the numbers are on it. I'm, I'm going to give Mark's retirement to you guys. You like that? Yeah, you sure. How many of you know I can't do that? And the reason I can't do it, it's not mine. I don't have, I don't possess ownership. And see, what is sadly lacking culturally is that there's a lot of us that don't have what I would call a deep spiritual heritage because we haven't owned it. I mean, yeah, maybe there's those cute little social media posts of a scripture that goes up once a week, but then our lifestyle doesn't verify that. So if it's cute little sayings that we're passing on, that's our spiritual heritage. And that's what we're able to leave. But what is even scarier, if we have no faith in Jesus, we, in essence, have nothing worth passing on. If I don't know Jesus, I don't have a heritage to give to somebody. 
If we have no faith, we have nothing to give. And might I say it this way? As a result of that, and I'm not going to fix blame on this problem or that problem or whatever, because it's an age-old problem. It's called sin. It generationally raises up every so often, whether it's in Israel or whether it's in Nevada. But right now, as a result of nothing to pass on, we're witnessing a thunderstorm of evil that is raining down a torrential downpour of secularism, commercialism, immorality, addictions, narcissism, and redefinitions of what truth is all about. That's what's raining. That's what's storming. That's what we're dealing with. And the reason we are is because we didn't pass the baton spiritually. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. If you turn with me in the Bible, uh, the old-fashioned way. And by the way, this is uh, one of, I think, most of our favorite scriptures. Hero Israel, it's the Shema, which is uh, what every good Jewish boy would learn at an early age. Hero Israel. And I want you to think in terms of uh, this was meant to be shouted from the town square. Uh, there was, in ancient times, as well as even in the Old West, uh, there was what was called the town crier. Hero Israel! Sorry, I didn't mean to wake some of you up, but it was someone who would project and declare the current news and the admonition of what our priorities for the day are in the kingdom that we're living in. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. You know what? I love watching generations in our church. Not just guys who get up and preach and remember them in diapers, but, and I don't by any means want to embarrass this incredible family in the back row on the right side that the dad's a lawyer, but I, I guess I already did. But you know what warms my heart, Jonathan, about your family? Is that you and Ali'i partnering with your sons together in ministry is exactly what this is all about. You see, dad just doesn't talk smack. He doesn't just talk religion. He doesn't just talk about Jesus. Not only do you set the example, but your boys are there beside you doing the same thing. And I got to tell you, that is a powerful, powerful inheritance that that man is leaving for his children. 
These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. And I, I love the Jewish people. You know, that's why they would take the Shema and put it in their side girl. I mean, they, they literally took everything literally, you know. That's why they had the little uh, Shema that is placed over the door, the prayer of Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6, verse 4 through 8. Because they said, put it on your doorpost. And how many of you know, I don't think the Holy Spirit was exactly talking about in your side curl. It was talking about put it into your memory. Put it, write it into your heart. Let it be every time you pass and wherever you go. It precedes you. It follows you. The kingdom is with you. It's not based upon a sign you have on your door. It's based on us opening that door. To our heart, to the one who will occupy. Impress them to your children. Let's look real quick at Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And I'm going to tell you, this is really hard for Pastor Greg to not really jump into these guys. Because I've preached sermons on these fellows for years, and I've never done a one-parter on any of them. Now I'm going to take three of them and roll them. And as Joey would say, Dad, just get on with it. You're already taking an extra 40 seconds. Uh, ready, go. Um, could, could we say it this way, Isaac inherited something from his father? Um, I told uh, Bryce, uh, who, uh, by the way, please pray for him. He had back surgery. It's really, it was really, really bad. And that's a whole other story. But his beautiful wife, Jen, uh, we were standing in the kitchen a few weeks ago. And Bryce is there. I'm here washing dishes. Why wasn't he washing dishes? Um, so, and over here is a little Mac. And if you see Mac, you've seen the father. And if you knew me a long time ago, if you have seen Bryce, you saw his father. It's uncanny, that mastinary DNA. I mean, the same flat, hey, I could have been a champ. You know, no cartilage in the nose. You know, the, this, all, we walk like bears, can't run. We got thick cankles. Some say even thankles. It's good to give thanks. And so, anyway, so all of these characteristics, and I know that I've heard this from people through the years, that's got to be a mercenary. Particularly when they see him walking away and they see the backside and they see the, the lumbering shoulders. He walks just like a mercenary. Well, Isaac didn't fall too far from his father. Do you know he lied about his sister Rebecca in a situation and said that uh, it was his sister? And the reason he lied was because his wife was so beautiful, he thought those guys that they were with in the foreign land, that they would kill him to take his wife. Now, that's a dilemma. I get it. But how many of you know sometimes... Maybe if we make a stand, God will deliver us. Or do we allow the fears of the circumstance to get the best of us and we fall into what all of us do, and that is our sinful nature, and we lie and steal and cheat or whatever it is to get out of it. Just like one of my kids did when we asked him if he had been in the cookie jar. His hands were behind his back. There was chocolate chips smeared all over his face. No. No, no cookies. 
No cookies. And any of you that don't think that kids learn how to play their parents, I got one right now that's 18 months old, and I've been absolute. He told his mom yesterday that we're getting showered after going into the pool, and I heard it in the other room, and he goes, 18 months old, get out. Get out. He wanted his mom. So he basically said, get out. Abraham, how many of you know, did the same thing with his wife, Sarah? Do you remember that? The story Abraham lied about his wife too. Same reason. And so uh, you think about that, that the, the fruit doesn't fall very far from the tree, does it? And so then when I look at Jacob, you know, I mentioned he had 12 sons, four different women. Uh, his, I don't know how else to say this. Jacob was messed up, man. He was messed up. And, and when I look at, at Isaac, and I look at Jacob, you know what the number one thing men tell me why they don't think they can come to the Lord? And Sean hit this really good a, a few weeks ago. They think we've got to get good enough and cleaned up enough before we can come into the presence of God. And i got to tell you, it doesn't matter how hard you scrub, sin doesn't come off because it's in your heart. And so I, I look at this that these men who weren't pristine fathers, they weren't do-gooders, they weren't religious, they didn't go to church, they didn't have family devotions every night, goodness knows, but they're in the hall of fame of faith. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope because I, no one is more aware of our own failures more so than ourselves, how we don't measure up. And particularly, men, do we know that if you had an overbearing father? It's hard to understand loving God when you had a dad who was constantly drinking or pointing his finger in your face. I want to tell you something. Isaac and Jacob's placement in the Hall of Fame of Faith ought to be good news for every one of us here today. You know why? It's a reminder that our God is the God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, however many it takes to get right with God. It doesn't matter how many times. It doesn't matter what you did last year. It doesn't matter what you did when you were a kid. Today is a day of salvation. The moment you confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from just partial unrighteousness. No. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when I look at that, that he can give us a chance to make up for the failures of our past. And then we can take those lessons that we've learned from our failures. And I, and I realize we can't go back and change our past. And there are some things I'm sure that each and every one of us here today, we'd like to go back and change. But you can't do that. And as much as I love watching time travel movies and series, you can't go back and redo No one can. 
but we can create through Christ a better tomorrow, a better today. Joseph was a dreamer. He had vivid revelations. I could go on and on with him. We know he was sold into slavery, and then if that weren't enough, he then got accused falsely of uh, trying to go after Potiphar's wife and was thrown in prison approximately 10 years. And what's even more amazing is that his brothers show up at his doorstep. Joseph is second in command in all of Egypt. And little did they know who he was. But I want you to listen to the words of, of Joseph in, the, in Genesis chapter 50. You see, if you want to leave a legacy of spiritual heritage, do what Joseph did. Forgive. Forgive even when you were not in the wrong. Did you hear me? I don't know about you, but I got a feeling that my kids have enough Irish and Italian in them that they'd want to get even somewhere down the road. Just saying. And can you imagine how many years that Joseph, 30-some years he's been in Egypt, and he's rehearsed in his mind over and over. But listen to what happens that when they first saw him and had this V8 moment that that was their brother, he looked at them and said, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. I can't imagine the tears that must have flowed in that family reunion right then. The embracings and the I'm sorry's, I can't believe we did this. You know, we're knuckleheads and all the different things. But what I realized is that God had a plan for Joseph's life. And he had a road map. And I want you to understand this very poignantly. In wanting to leave a legacy, we never get to see the map. Because God is trying to teach us how to follow him. I don't know about you, but I love these new maps. I don't have to look at it. Turn right in 700 feet, 300 feet, 200 feet. You're driving too fast. Um, we have the, those things right in our car. I want to tell you something. The road map that God has for your spiritual journey is now mapped out. You don't know it. But he does. And I got to tell you, the things that Joseph battled uh, the walking in darkness, the detours, the discouragement, the disillusionment, false accusations, unexpected delay, went on and on and on. And yet, he forgave. This morning, I want to talk about how do you pass legacy on. I'm just going to give you one point. This may be a first in my life. I don't have 10 points. Unless you want, would you like 10 points? No. Let me just ask you a question. What is the legacy that you want to pass on to your family? 
Think about that right now. What is the legacy that you want to leave? That you were there, that you were faithful, that you loved the Lord, that you were husbands, that you loved your wife as Christ loved the church. You know, you were forget. What, what legacy do you want to leave? Because here's the deal. We have a will of those things that we want to impart on our family. But we give no thought whatsoever about the legacy of our spiritual giftedness that God has blessed us with of how we can pass that on. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? And I want to talk about a term, and for whatever reason, this is the phrase God gave me, and it's called the power of presence. The power of presence. When I uh, worked for my dad many, many years ago, my dad was a paper wallpaper hanger in central Illinois, and I, I worked probably, gosh, I think he started having his cover light plugs with wallpaper. I don't know if you all remember that. They used to cover light plugs. And I'd get a, like a, you know, start out at a dime, a wall, uh, you know, a socket. That, that was a great deal back then. Um, but I started really working young for my dad. Then I started going with him to work. I, I don't remember if it was 12 or 13. I was able to work full time during the summer for a whopping 24 cents an hour. And um, sometimes I'd walk in and one of the folks that we were working for, they'd look at me and they'd look at Dad and go, you're Joe Masonry's kid, aren't you? And I said, yes, sir. And, uh, well, I guess I can leave today. I was, I was going to stay here because I heard there was some kid coming over. But since you're Joe's boy, I guess it'll be safe around here. I guess I can leave. Now, why did he say that? had nothing to do with me whatsoever. It had to do with everything of my dad's character. Do you realize the magnificence of that principle in our spiritual lives? That people can trust us because of who our father is. What a sad thing when people can't trust Christians. But what a glorious thing when they can. Oh, you're one of Jesus' kids. Yeah, hey, don't worry about it. You, you got the run of the place. Don't worry about it. Just turn the lights off when you're done. Because they knew my father, they knew they could trust me. And when I think about that in regards to our spiritual heritage, When I was growing up, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And very few kids did. I, I, I loved life. I guess it's because probably I'm a, I was the youngest. And uh, I, I don't know if you relate to this. Maybe ladies, you always wanted to do this or that or whatever. I would go from being a baseball player. Mark, you'd be happy to know for the St. Louis Cardinals. I would go from one week or one day or one hour from wanting to be a baseball player, then I wanted to be a fireman. Because that, that, that would be cool to ride on the back of a truck and hear that siren, right? And then I wanted to be a doctor because I had like four uncles and cousins who were doctors. And they helped people, right? Uh, I, I, then I wanted to be a policeman. 
And, and I don't know why, uh, Mennonite kids, we didn't have guns, so it probably wasn't the gun, or maybe subconsciously it was, I don't know. But then I'd want to be an ambulance driver until we had two ambulances crash on the corner of the main intersection in our city and killed both drivers. I thought, eh, I'll pass an ambulance driver. I wanted to be a cowboy. Any of y'all here want to be a cowboy when you were a boy? Huh? No? Gabe, do you want to be a cowboy? Sorry, I had some tobacco in my cheek. And then I decided I wanted to be a baseball broadcaster like Harry Carey. And then when I went to church and there was this movement of medical missionaries led by a guy who was a genius on the organ as well as mentally and theologically. His name was Albert Schweitzer. And so when I'm five years old, I want to, six years old, I want to be like Albert Schweitzer. And then I went to, when I heard Dr. King preach later, a few years later, and went to a Billy Graham crusade, maybe I want to be a preacher. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to be but they were dreams. And the only thing I knew down deep inside, and I want you to hear me carefully, there was one thing I dreamed of being that stayed consistent my whole life. And I wanted to be a dad. I always wanted to be a dad. Never lost that dream. More than anything else, I wanted to have family. When I was at church, I played with all the kids. When I was at school in sixth grade, I checked on the second graders. Down deep inside, all I ever wanted to be was a dad. And then right before Jared was born on March 9th, 1981, I got scared breathlessly. Like, am I going to be a good dad? What am I going to do? How do I jump? I will change diaper. And on and on and on. And one of the things that tears my heart out is when I hear a dad say, I'm not a good dad. Can we ever come to a place of understanding being a dad is a present day thing? It's not about what's happened in the past. Being a dad is how you finish, just like salvation. I jotted down a couple things about my dad. And I want you to just say this phrase with me. He was there. Would you say that with me? He was there. Now say it like you really mean it. He was there. If you were to ask me about my dad, and you got us all in a room, we'd reminisce about all the remembrance of Joe and his fathering skills. But what's interesting to me, and I really thought about it this week, if you were to ask me categorically, are there moments when your dad spoke those great pearls of wisdom into your life, I would have to say I scarcely remember. My dad was like a lot of dads of his generation that fought in World War II. My dad worked in the medical corps for four years in England in the hospitals that brought all over the dying and wounded 
from the theater in France. No wonder Dad didn't talk about the war. Back then, I think they called it uh, shell shock. You know. But I recall vividly those moments that took place in my life where I may not remember anything he might have said, but I remember because what? He was there. He was there. Dad came home every night for dinner. He's one of those guys, Champagne, such a small town, he came home for lunch. And I got to tell you, I'm glad I didn't inherit his eating habits. He would take a fresh tomato off the vine, a giant, what are those big ones called? Um, big boys or beef eaters or beef steak or whatever. And then dad would take that, slice it, and smother it in salt and pepper, and then grab an onion and not cut it up but would have a bite of tomato and then a bite of onion together. Not so much the kind of mentoring that I appreciated. But the one thing I remember is that Dad was home every night for dinner. First thing he would do, he'd go sit in his easy chair, and he asked me to do something that I didn't understand until I got older. He asked me to take his shoes and socks off for him. Now, I got to tell you, I'm my dad's son, and I know what feet look like when they're 60 years old. And I know what they smell like. I don't know if he did that on purpose, but I think most of it had to do with the fact that he worked so dang hard and was on his feet up and down a ladder all day long, working six days a week, that taking off his shoes and socks was just one of the most comfortable things he could do. So he'd sit in his easy chair and he'd fold the newspaper exactly for the Chicago Tribune crossword puzzle. And he would navigate that and then we'd go to dinner. Every night after dinner. I can't tell you one devotion that Dad shared with us. Not one. But would you say it with me? He was there. Say that again. He was there. Going to church every Sunday. Sunday night service. Wednesday night youth group. Prayer meetings. Potlucks. He was there. Coaching me in Little League. He was there when... We would watch whole episodes. The only night he ever watched television was Candid Camera and What's My Line late on Sunday night. And he let me stay up. And he'd get this giant bowl of popcorn in a green, ugly Tupperware thing. And, and I don't remember any conversation we ever had about any of the contestants. We just sat together. But I do remember his presence. He was there. I played basketball for three years in junior high. In the middle of winter, they get those snowstorms that come in and ice. And I remember that when ba basketball practice was over, I'd go out and there was dad in his Joe Master and son's truck with the, you know, could see all the, the, the exhaust coming out. And I knew if I heard it, I'd get into that warm truck and dad would, uh, would take me home. And I gotta tell you, 
I don't remember one conversation I ever had with my dad in that truck. Not one. But he was there. He was there. Not too long after that, I got into wrestling in high school. I got into the regional finals, and I lost at a last-moment move by a guy who I had soundly defeated the week before. And by winning that match, I would have gone on to the state tournament, but I lost it on a stupid move that I shouldn't have tried to a guy that I soundly beat the week before, and I was just ready to lose it. And I saw my dad come down out of the bleachers. You know, it's kind of a thing you don't do when you're, Mark, you know this is a coach, you don't, parents don't come by the wrestling mat. They just don't. I mean, they don't walk onto football fields or the basketball court. Well, maybe today they do. Um, my dad came down just a little bit off the edge. And I walked over to him. And I don't remember if dad ever even said anything. But I buried my head in his shoulder and cried like a little baby. I don't know what he said, but he was there. The power of his presence. When I drove to college for the first time, I can tell you, we were in the car 10, 12 hours driving from Champaign to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I can tell you, I don't remember any conversation we had. Not a one. But he was there during that time of my life. When I resigned a church that I had planted in 1987 because we had a group of elders who wanted a more sophisticated and qualified leader as their pastor, kind of like the bully that keeps pushing you, pushing you, pushing you until finally you have no other choice. I was heartbroken. My wife would tell you it's one of the darkest things I've ever been through. My dad got word of it, flew out from Champaign, and that Sunday morning, he was there for me. He didn't come up to the side of the mat, but I saw where he was at in the second and third row, and I went over to him. And once again, I buried my face in his shoulder. And I cried, and I cried, and I cried. I do remember one thing he said. Son, and all the things that you've ever done, I'm more proud of you this day than I ever have been in my life. That one stayed with me. That one stayed with me. I hope that we understand the power of presence. We don't have to speak great words of encouragement, although when you get one, man, you better hold on to it. My dad was there. And I want to just encourage, I got a whole bunch more on statistics, on, on the importance of fathers in a home, and, you know, 75% of kids who 
go to church with both parents. 75% of those kids will end up today going to church as an adult. It's 18% if dad doesn't go. And I don't know what that is about the power of presence for a dad. I don't know why it is that when I came home, I give my kids a look and they immediately wilted and were totally obedient to their mother who five minutes previous to that would not listen to a thing she was saying. And she'd look at me and say, that really makes me mad. I said, what? That you walk in the door. I've been with them all day. And if you had seen what they were really like today. And I just go, it's okay, honey. I'm here now. Why? The power of presence. I'm just going to share a couple verses. Because obviously what I want to leave with you this morning is my dad was there for me. But we have a dad spiritually that is far greater than any earthly father any of us have ever enjoyed. A father who's there. A father who loves us no matter when we fail, no matter how many times we mess up. John chapter 14 says, I will ask the Father and he'll give you another comforter. He will be with you forever. For he will live in you and he will be in you. Matthew chapter 28 verse 20, those times when we feel alone, those times when we feel like nobody else cares. And believe me, there are those times in our life. You are not alone in regards to those feelings. Every person I've ever met on the face of this earth goes through loneliness, goes through depression, goes through isolation. But there is one that is greater than any of us, one that says where Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always even to the ends of the earth or the world. Which means he's not bailing. He has your back. He's there for you. The psalmist, where shall I go that I can flee from your presence? Hebrews chapter 13, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Matthew chapter 1, his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. His presence with us. In the final verse, Psalms 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Somebody tell me. For thou art with me. He's there. Be there for your kids. Be there for those that you want to endow with a spiritual heritage. Dad, sometimes we actually put the phone down, the paper, the book, look them straight in the eye because sometimes I have trouble listening. And the reason is that I'm always analyzing of how I can fix it. And sometimes those we love, those we work with, they don't need fixing. They just need you to listen. They just need you to be there. The power of your presence. 
And might I say it this way, you know, when it comes to our kids, you know, if they, if they go through things, they don't need to be fixed. They don't need things and a new PS5, 4, whatever it is. They need you. They need time, not things. I know that for me, I will never stop giving. I will never stop serving. But not because of some pedigree of spirituality, but because that's what Jesus has called me to do. I know God's not finished with me yet. And I hope, and when it's all said and done, and I hope when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I hope that, uh, I hope I was a good husband. I hope I was kind. I hope I was a decent pastor and a decent preacher. But there's one thing I hope that I excelled at. And that's being a dad. Because that's the richest heritage I have. It says to write these things on the tablets of their heart. I'm declare to you today as we close. He was there. And Jesus will be there for you. Will you be there for him and them? Will your kids or grandkids say about you, Jan John, mom was always there. Jimmy Witten, your son, in that, oh, you Texas accent, my dad was always there. Jesus was there for us, isn't he? Let's stand together as we close, shall we? Father, thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for the challenge that is before us to examine our earthly wealth in comparison to our spiritual wealth. I thank you for the dads that are represented today. Some of them don't have good memories of their past. But, Lord, I know that you are in the business of makeover and redos and second chances and third chances. And so I pray that the men of this church, those who even may be retired and don't have a work job that for so many years and decades defined who they were as a man, that now they could come face to face with how Jesus wants to define them in these years of ministry that they have left. Lord, I'm asking the question right now, where do I go from here in ministry? What do I do exactly? But I know my heart, I'm not the only one who's asking that. So, Lord, help us to understand the dynamic that sometimes maybe to a small kid in our church, maybe children's ministry, whatever it may be, a greeter, whatever, 
Help us to be there. To be there. It's not that hard. Oh, my goodness, what profound impact it makes on us. Because when we're there, it's an incarnation of the person of Jesus, and they know this must be what it's like when Jesus is here. Help us to be there to never become discouraged, to realize that we may have a Jacob or an Isaac background and we may be getting older, but man, they still are in the Hall of Fame. And every person in this room and in the sound of my voice, it's not too late. It's not about the past. It's about the future. And may we have written on the hearts of all of those that we love, he or she was there. I don't remember a whole lot what they said, but the power of presence prevails. He was there. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, you can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with friends, share it with family, help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.